Hello and welcome to episode nine of The Run-In. This week we'll be talking everything uh, British Sprint Championships, British Middle Distance Championships. We've got an interview with Megan Carter-Davis, the recently crowned British Sprint and Middle Distance Champion. We'll also wrap up the results from Euro Meeting for all the Brits competing out there, the Norwegian Championships and look ahead to the World Cup races in Switzerland. Um, Firstly, Catherine, how are you? Have you recovered from the weekend yet? Yeah, to be honest, uh, I didn't do great. At the, well, I don't know. I did okay at the at the weekend, so that it feels like there's not that much to recover from. Did some orienteering today at the army event. So to be honest, I feel like I'm going to be more knackered from that. It was like I ran something like 11 kilometers on this orienteering event uh, today. So I, yeah, I think I'm going to be feeling that tomorrow. I guess that's the weird thing about British sprints, isn't it? It's it's not as taxing as most race weekends because it is just kind of it's two by 12 minutes on the Saturday and then just half an hour on the Sunday. So you don't get that tired. But I guess it's more of a mental tiredness because you're on it all weekend. Yeah. Although if you're me, it's more like two times 17 minutes and then an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, but, but there we go. You know, just just going to reflect all of the, uh, you know, abilities of orienteering here yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come we'll come on to your success as well the, you're at the other end of the spectrum to me so that's yeah. good <laughs> yeah, um but so. the sprint the um the sprints i thought were, they were pretty good around um loughborough university of course has been used for um the british sprint champs back in 2013 as well mm-hmm. so a bit quite familiar to me and uh, um, I think you know what I think we predicted the kind of style of the courses quite well, Will. And the first one, very quick, not as technical. You just absolutely had to be like bang on the money, just really, really fast. And then the mm. second one, a lot more technical, a lot more like route choice uh, and everything. And I think definitely the best way around to hold those two races. Yeah, definitely. And and that's, I think, what you want. Get people a little bit fatigued for the final and they start making mistakes because they're not as fresh as they possibly planned on being or wanted to be. But yeah, like you say, the uh, the qualifiers all very fast, very furious, a lot of people around as well. So a lot of bodies crossing mm-hmm. over you um, all the time, especially in the final um, part of it. So it started in the kind of wider um, lecture hall um, buildings, um, quite a lot of open running to begin with and finished up in a small accommodation block that I found really quite difficult to read on the map, actually. It was, it was really quite, I don't know, I found it quite small and quite tough to read. So I was looking at the map a lot in that section um, as well as trying to deal with everyone kind of crossing over me at the same time, trying not to smash into someone around a corner, which uh, is always the danger in the heats because there's just so many people that the organisers have to get through in such a short amount of time that it gets a bit hectic, but... Uh, yeah, other than, yeah, other than British... nearly missing my start. That was, that was a bit <laughs> oh, really? as well. oh, gosh. You know, I um, I actually ran headfirst into Johnny Malley at the British Sprints in 2015 in Aldershot. And I can tell you, I came off worse. I was going to say, there's only, only one person coming off worse from a run into Malley because he's a bit of a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I saw I, like, bounced back after hitting him. But we both just came <laughs> around the corner together. And then it was, like, I like proper impact as well. Um, yeah, so I'm glad I avoided that on the British sprints. But, yeah, that, that last section, like, you really had to adjust your technique and just mm. slow down. And I think a load of people... Um, I think on all courses were caught out by that and um, suddenly were like making loads of mistakes in that area and really struggling to 
to to to keep the you know, the technique together especially having done having been so much faster on the previous bit you really felt like you needed to run fast on that on that section and and, and actually it was like making sure you knew exactly where you were exactly where the control was too mm, definitely definitely and that was like we said that was what we kind of picked out as the challenges beforehand last weekend and i think uh there were no major surprises coming through the qualifiers and uh, uh for the men or the women the only ones in the men were um with graham missing out the first control i think because he didn't want to uh risk his calf injury on mm. the um on the sprints before the middle distance the next day and uh rich robinson um getting a wrong control 10 on his heat as well. So they were the two major losses from the men's side. Um, but I think mostly on the women's side, everyone made it through pretty much unscathed. Yeah, Chloe, Chloe Potter also mispunched uh, the heat oh, did as she? well. Actually, I didn't see so that. she's she's the, the main one that I'd say was um, was um didn't make it through to the A final. Um, and then we had a bit of a chance to relax and uh, reset for the finals. Uh, how, did you, how did you find the final, Will? Um, yeah, it was a a bit of a mixed bag, really. So, um, I guess I'll, I guess I'll start with the heats of of what I had planned before the final. So I wanted to go in and win my heat because I wanted to get as late to start as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kind of tactical thing for myself, of just to take all the pressure I could off myself. Uh, I nearly missed my start on the on the <laughs> on the heats. Same as Chris and Sminty, actually, because all of us had got the uh, had weren't aware that it was a minus six box we all thought it was a minus four so i rocked up into the minus two <laughs> getting got the descriptions um chris chris jones turned up with 30 seconds to go to his start so um <gasps> right. he, he was cutting a bit finer than i did um but yeah, yeah so my, and they were a minute out as well because um yeah all the times are all a minute out because of um they were they started at a minute the wrong way basically yeah so that didn't help things no um yeah, so I wanted I wanted to be starting as close to the back as possible, uh, just so I could have a bit of a clean run. Because I thought mm. mentally that would be the easiest thing for me. I could get a bit more, like, fractionally more recovery as well. So straight after the qualifier, it was like through through the uh, through the channel, get the download, go change clothes, uh, change shoes, uh, go and warm down, and start recovering. Because uh, historically, I've struggled with the back to back racing, but I've trained quite a lot over the year to. To, for my body to be used to efforts kind of back to back over a, over a day or two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into the final, I was yeah quite aware, like we spoke about, that the the downhill diagonal legs were going to be the really key ones and started off dealing with those relatively well. Felt pretty good, actually, um, physically, and was moving pretty nicely on the longer legs. Um, came a bit unstuck on the... On a couple of the short ones, so leg seven for us, you crossed over a very small crossable wall in a car underneath a car park. It was mm-hmm. attached to a cross, an uncrossable wall, and an out of bounds fence. And I, I had a massive hesitation there. I lost about six or seven seconds um, to the best split, just because I, I suddenly feared that I'd disqualified myself. But it was actually the best route, and everyone else did it. So that put me on a bit of a back foot, and I started um, second guessing myself with some of the routes mm-hmm. I was taking. So on control 11 i began to come unstuck a bit and uh chose a bad route there lost a bit a chunk of time um 13 i was a little bit slow on 
uh, 17 as well. I compromised a route and changed it again. And then, yeah, just near the end, I, I came a bit unstuck. So 19 as well, I, I thought I spotted the route and had to flip back onto a different one. So just small time losses near the end, which added up to, uh, to yeah, fourth place, which is pretty frustrating. But um, going in, I, I, I thought that a top six would be all I'd managed because I felt so bad the weekend before at SHIs. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually managed to get myself into quite a good state physically for it. So so that was pleasing and actually felt really strong and was pretty annoyed afterwards not to get a medal because I think I had the speed to get one on the day, but I just cost myself it in the end, which uh, is part and parcel of sprint orienteering. But um, yeah, it's a bit annoying because that would have been a first medal at the sprints for me. So that yeah, a frustrating end to it. Yeah, so you were seven seconds off the bronze position in the end. Yeah. Oh, sorry, to, oh, I just just like, mentioning it for context, okay? No, uh, no, so no, Chris no. Chris Jones, he won, and he was uh, 47 seconds ahead of Peter Hawkinson. And then uh, Johnny Crickmore was in third place. Will, you were in mm-hmm. fourth. Uh, Damien Knotopetz, the Canadian, was in fifth. And Nathan Lawson was in sixth. So that's completing those... Um, that kind of top six that we often count for the international orienteering. And were you guys... You know, did you guys kind of guess you were racing for for second, third uh, behind um, Chris? Yeah, I think you could see after Chris's qualifier the fact he caught and dropped Alex Carcass mm. by a minute um, that he was on a on a bit of a mission to uh, to take back his title after a year of not going to the championships. Um, he'd already he he spent a year at Loughborough living on the campus, so he knew it quite well, which. I guess we all raced there in 2013, but you do get a bit, mm. uh, bit, a bit of knowledge from living somewhere. So I think if I turned up to the edge in Sheffield, I'd have a pretty decent run. But I think <laughs> we all knew that he was in better. He's a, he's a faster runner than us anyway. There's no arguing with that. And you can't argue with the fact that someone can run a minute quicker than you on a 5K. It's yeah. like you're already starting the race on the back foot. So I think I personally was pretty aware of that. And I, I mean, I would have loved to go and, got a gold medal and tried to do it but I knew that something had to happen for me to be in that position so I, I would always go out there and try and race for the win but yeah, yeah I guess you know in the back of your mind that it's going to be a five percent possibility that that will happen but yeah you just go and give your best and uh whatever happens happens because that's the beauty of orienteering that I know Chris could have mispunched or skipped a control yeah. and or anything could have happened so yeah, yeah, you just you've go got to make sure and... you're on that, that you can take advantage of that 5% if that presents itself and everything. And uh, yeah, on the women's, um, so we're going to be chatting to her uh, a bit later, Megan Carter-Davis. She's going to give us a little insight into her run. Uh, she was first, uh, 40 seconds ahead of Alice Leak. Cecilia Anderson in third place, another nine seconds down. Then completing the top six, we also had Grace Malloy, Laura Robertson and Fiona Barn as well. Um, Charlotte Ward, I've got to say, uh, she got the wrong number, control number eight. I'm not really sure. Sh- I feel like she lost a bit of time here as well. Um, I'm, so I'm not exactly sure what happened, but otherwise she seemed to have a good pace that maybe put her in contention for a medal. So it's a shame um, to see that from her. And also um, one of the mm. other like sprint specialists, Kirsten Maxwell, it was uh, again for her, like uh, she was in ninth place. I think she will have been a bit disappointed with um, her performance there. Like I know, you know, both um, her and Charlotte Ward having represented um, GB in sprint orienteering before have got high expectations of themselves as well. So, um, mm. so yeah. Yeah, I think they'd both be quite 
quite like Charlotte obviously be pretty frustrated with that and uh, I guess sometimes you get those those really bad runs that just nothing goes your way at all and especially when you are a specialist and and this is your championships I guess it's easy for us that do sprint and forest and long and middle that we get mm. a few cracks at it over the year uh, but you know it, it's quite mental it's mentally tougher if you are a specialist just turning up for that one single day per year and really doing it on that day so yeah they'll be they'll be pretty frustrated but um I think I saw a post from Charlotte on on social media that you know she's already moving on moving upwards and she's got World Cup races coming up so she'll be focusing on those and and trying to try and do a bit better there but yeah I think they'll both be uh, just a bit frustrated with themselves because because they're better than that and um I guess they have high expectations of themselves and um and yeah and, and and we know that they can do the business yeah but as you said i mean it's the it's the way that they that they move on from that and um the way that they pick themselves mm. up and move forwards um so yeah and then great result from alice leak in second place not able to um defend her title but still picking up that silver medal cecilia anderson too like completing um solid performances throughout mm-hmm. um all of this year to be honest um and Grace Malloy, really great to see her in that fourth place uh, there, uh, exactly a minute down on Megan Carter Davis. Yeah, no, yeah, great from um, great from the two juniors and uh, Cecilia. I, I think I I picked her as a as a top tip, so that's the first one that's actually worked for me. I think as a uh, <laughs> as a prediction, other than Meg, because that's just an easy one. Um, but yeah, no, it's great to see those those girls already stepping up to race with the seniors and um, Cecilia having such a good one in her first year as a senior. So. It's uh yeah really good seeing and next year I'm sure that they'll be they'll be closer to Megan really pushing her for the uh for the win. Exactly. So we'll move on to the British Middles. Uh, Chinley Churn. Um, for some people a very foggy hillside. Others uh, <laughs> once the fog lifted maybe a bit more enjoyable. So Graham Gristwood won the men's. Uh, Johnny Crickmore in second. Will you took the bronze, and in the women's Megan Carter Davis won again. Uh, as you will hear later as well. Uh, Sarah Jones second and Cecilia Anderson um, third. Um, but Will, what did you think of the the terrain of the area? I actually um, was pleasantly surprised by it. So beforehand, I, I, I've kind of expected it to be a bit of a rubbish race. And that's not meant in any kind of disrespect to the area. I'd never been there before. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I thought it would just be a really open, visible um, area that you could just see for miles across the whole thing. I know you could at the end. You could, it was pretty visible. But even in the mine works, I, I just assumed you'd be able to see people dropping into stuff all the time. But it really wasn't at all. It was a great mix of, of challenging downhill orienteering, really tough uphill work and really fast running at the end. So it was a really nice mix physically and technically as well. You had really nice sections where you're just dropping over the side of things in the mining section, trying to find real pathways through to to the next um over the next contour and um, on the downhill you had to keep your line otherwise if you dropped height then you'd you know have to slog back up an extra 10 meters and just lose lose time lose speed lose energy and then in the open section at the end as well you could really open up the taps and uh get your head high and just use your compass and and try and fly along so i actually really enjoyed it and really rated the course and uh thought it was a great combination yeah yeah it's a good good mix of different um techniques you had to use different styles of orienteering different challenges i think like the best courses always have that kind of challenge involved with them and mm. and for will yourself going uh one better than the than the sprints and yourself a bronze i mean that's what i wanted out of the weekend i wanted a a medal from from one of them so got that 
had a pretty good run. I think looking back at the splits, I uh, I was actually down right from the gun and was in kind of third or fourth all the way mm-hmm. and never really got in the lead. And I was quite surprised by that, if if that doesn't sound arrogant, because <laughs> I, when I finished, I, I finished like, right, yep, yeah, I've got that. That's, I've, I felt great. And it's quite an interesting an interesting thing that warming up I was feeling okay but as soon as I started I really felt amazing and um like the legs had just come back after a few tough weeks of of sessions so that was really positive and I was in a good mental state out there as well so I was hitting things relatively cleanly there's a few small little 10 second blips here or there so I approached it with the tactics of I'm probably going to lose time on the downhills because I'm not the best descender in the world so I've really got to make a time difference on the uphills and where I can actually open up my running because I mm-hmm. assumed after the sprints that I was one of the fittest guys in the field. And on the long legs, I think on the, on the sprints, I was second behind Chris. I was like, okay, if, if Chris isn't here, then I'm one of, if not the fastest at the moment in mm-hmm. of who's racing. Like, we didn't know how Gigi was going in the yeah. sprints because he didn't race them properly. But um, you know, I, I kind of went in there with that, right, try and G myself up for it and go for it. And yeah, and just seemed to make a couple of mistakes in the minor section in the circle, just missing a couple by five meters here or there. Our leg fifteen was straight up that wall of a climb that we had to come come up twice. So I really like kind of yeah. gutted myself on that one and got the second fastest split, a second down on Ben Mitchell. But I lost yeah. ten seconds in the circle as well, like <sighs> overshooting it and coming back. So I was really trying to gut myself where I could on the running side of things to make a difference. So I think that one shows alone that I was. I was moving all right, and as soon as I got into the open section, I just, like, faster splits um, for a good section of it. So that was good for, for me personally, um, kind of opening up into that bit. I caught sight of Murray Strain just near the uh, new mapping section that there was, which confused a lot of people. So I got quite mm. lucky there and uh, had Murray in my sights, was hunting him down. Um, I think I'd caught him four minutes in the end, so that was a good kind of confidence boost part way around. I caught Murray four minutes. That means I must be on a good run. Um, and nearly made a few horrendous <laughs> errors by not going to some controls. So I came across a couple. I, was, I seemed to be moving so quickly and gutted myself that I came across a couple going, ah, oh, there's a control I'm meant to be punching around here. Oh, that is my code. That's pretty lucky. I'll punch that control then. And that happened three <laughs> times, which was a bit a bit risky, um, especially after I mispunched the JK middle by doing exactly that uh, mm. two years ago. Um, or last year, sorry. But yeah, just near the end, I started uh, bananaing a bit uh, by doing that. So on the uh, 28th control, I just lost a bit too much height and had to regain it again. And uh, look behind and saw Murray chuckling at me, which was quite funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just didn't quite have it at the end. So I got back even with Johnny, I think with three controls to go, but he just out, out descended me, but never quite got in touch with Graham. So 20 seconds down on him and uh, 10 on Johnny in the end. But yeah, good close racing. And I think that's what we want. You, you want people fighting for it, but... I did think when I finished, like, okay, I, I think that's enough to get it. So I was a bit disappointed when uh, mm. when those two came in. But, uh, it's, yeah, still a good run, and it's nice to be consistent across the year of, you know, doing well at JK Sprint all the way through to now when I think other people have been a bit more up and down than me. So that's that's nice that I can just turn up on the day and still do it. And uh, I think that's the most pleasing thing for me um, to come out of the season as a whole is just that I can keep that consistency. And I think that's the main thing that I've been aiming for over the last year or so. And I think you've said before you working on your mental approach to races. Do you feel like you've been mm. able to do that this year? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I always used to stre- just stress too much, just stressing all the time, just being anxious about what was coming up. 
Um, I think people get this when they're younger. They they get caught in these bubbles of, I've worn these socks before, therefore they must <laughs> make a difference to how I run, or this certain pair of uh, lycra is quicker, or something like that. I don't know, some silly things, or the way you put your shoes on, and the like the order that you tie your laces, or something like that. So, and, and I used to be dreadful with that kind of OCD, but I've just completely got rid of it over the last yeah. kind of 12, 18 months and just tried to put it, like, not do it at all. And it's just opened up this kind of really refreshing feeling of of not, not, not caring as much, but, you know, not putting the pressure on myself and just going, well, you know, if I do get a result, it's great. If I don't get a result, there are bigger things in the world to worry about and I can be angry about it for a day, but then I'll move on and, and you know, go on to the next thing. So there'll always be another race. So I do think they'll, I've made a massive step forward in that regard and, and the fact that, yeah, I can just kind of reset myself quite nicely now and, and not stress too much. And it's only really happened once this year that mm. I have let myself get in my own head. And that was, <laughs> luckily, that was at the test race for the middle distance in Norway. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's bound to happen. Like, it's going to slip through and happen. And I recognise that. But as long as I can keep control of it for the most part, then... I think I think that's the main thing that I can take from this year and that I can maybe I know a lot of um, parents and juniors listen that um, they very kindly came up over the weekend and, and said some very nice things. And yeah, I think that's the main bit of advice I could give to people is just to like the mental side is just as important and mm. not to not mm-hmm. to stress because there's other things and, and yeah. one race isn't going to matter. Exactly, exactly. Gigi he won your class so i think mm-hmm. i wrote on twitter took his 15th british title um, 15th title and, yeah second yeah, in the and middle shows though. no ti- uh shows no sign of stopping yeah well uh, i had a I had a chat to to ben mitchell about it afterwards and just like how the how the hell are we going to stop him um <laughs> i and that's just what i thin- finished I was like okay i think that's enough to get him and it just wasn't and it's one of those annoying things where people just keep on pipping you and <laughs> You don't know how you're going to beat them. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Graham's just one. Yeah, 15 in, in total is pretty impressive. And I assume he's still going to come and win another one next year. Why wouldn't he? Because he's still clearly got the fitness, and uh, especially in the long distance over all of us. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess we've all just got to go and stop him next year. But that's, I mean, that will keep on spurring him on as well, wanting to stop us and not let us get hold of the title. But I was a bit surprised that he'd only won two middle distance uh, distance championships actually yeah. that that did yeah. surprise me I thought he would have uh, would have won more pretty impressive and uh, and yeah we'll get him next year yeah get, get go back to the drawing board with that one and then yeah. uh, Megan Carter Davis again winning the uh, the middle distance she's done the triple the long the, the sprint and the middle uh, so yeah and again like nearly two minutes faster than everybody else um, it was yeah very exciting also chloe potter in fifth i want to mention as well sarah jones second cecilia anderson third um yeah definitely very impressive from kim as well to be uh to be fourth i think i guess she knows the kind of the peak district stuff very well from living in sheffield for for so mm-hmm. long so uh, really nice that she could still put in a, a pretty impressive performance there and yeah cecilia again on the podium consistent i think next year she's going to be uh going to be getting a, a title somewhere Nice mm-hmm. that Chloe could bounce back from the the disappointment with the sprints as well. So, so that's really good. And um, I know a lot of people in that top ten have been having some uh, tough times after walks. So Mary Fleming and and Laura Robertson has had a bit of an up and down year as well. So nice that they can you know keep on uh, putting in some consistent runs. And Kirsten Maxwell coming back from 
the disappointing sprint as well into sixth when she doesn't really do too much of the uh, the Foresto, even though there weren't any trees. But yeah, I'll, I'll call it Foresto. <laughs> um, so that was nice as well. Yeah, yeah Meg absolutely. just winning again. So yeah, doing the uh, doing the triple, very impressive yeah. stuff. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's done that before. I guess people will have to correct us, but I don't yeah, think someone they have. will have to, to, to so, tell so, us about that one. But there were uh, some Brits not there at the weekend. Some of them were at Yuri meeting, which was in Estonia, um, in Vitapalu, which was the same terrain that was used for the World Championships, and they held there back in 2017. Uh, mm-hmm. Day one was a middle distance day. Um, Duncan Bertwistle was 31st, Josh Beach 35th, Josh Dudley 43rd, and Alistair Pedley was uh, 58th. Um, Kat Taylor was uh, 24th and Faye Welsh was 37th. Uh, Kat, so not everybody had GPS tracking. Um, Kat did, maybe unfortunately for her, with a making about, by my guess, about a five minute mistake to control number one and then some, some further mistakes around the courses as around the course as well it's uh, an absolute grueling one i think last episode will you described it as the the most difficult orienteering you've ever done yeah yeah i think i think uh i i spoke to duncan after we got back last night about it i think he he didn't buy my uh explanation of that i think he found it easier than i did which annoyed me <laughs> good um but i think that yeah that came down to the mental and physical um pressure that I was putting myself under I think at walk so I'd like to think if I went back now I would I'd do a lot better mm. um but I don't know maybe not because yeah I did it was just incredibly tough just the the way the contours are you just can't see anything the, the trees are just blocking your face all the time and you just have to be on it constantly on it there's no breathing room you step onto a track you're on there for about f- five ten meters really because you've got to keep on going straight because straight is the best route. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are options of going around, but if you want to win, you've got to go straight. And it's just so intense all the time. But, um, yeah, pretty impressive from the uh, the British guys. All very close together, Josh, Josh and Duncan. But it's nice to see all, all three of them and Alistair Pedley uh, back, in, uh, back in GB vests and uh, and doing well. Because Euro meeting is often used as a, the warm-up races for, for Wok and Europeans the, either the year before or two years before. So... They've, they've just got some good training in for possible test races next year. Yeah, and it seems like a lot um, of those runners there were able to build on their results from day one. Day two was a chasing start. Again, a bit like a, a longer kind of middle distance race. Mm. And um, Duncan improved to 24th. Josh Dudley improved to 35th. Alistair Pedley improved to 38th. Josh Beach must have had a tough day dropping down to 52nd. Um Cat Taylor stayed 24th and Faye Walsh also climbed um, to 32nd. Um, both courses stayed pretty close to the arena both days and um, day two had both a fly and a butterfly loop. So lots of controls and and really like you, it's quite good to look at the tracking for them, even though not everybody was tracked, but you can really see some people kind of lose their heads and, and make some mistakes mm. in there, um, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and that's exactly what Duncan said, actually, after the start. So he was chasing down this Finnish guy who started seven seconds in th- in front of him, I think, and just went for the tactic of, I'm going out hard, I'm going to catch him, I'm going to get to the butterfly at the same time. Um, and it ended, it, he thought it was going to be um, alternate options for the butterfly. So um, runner one would have 
uh, one option and the person starting directly in front of you wouldn't have the same option as you. But it turned out the fact that the guy starting in front of him had exactly the same options. So he pushed too hard, made a slight mistake on the second control maybe, didn't get to the butterfly at the same time and lost the opportunity for the toe around that for the next six controls. So quite interesting that his uh, his tactic didn't quite pay off there and that, that scuppered him moving up the groups really well for the uh, for the next section of it. But yeah, it just goes to show you the, the kind of mental pressure that that style of racing can put mm. on you because Timo mm. Sild, I think, dropped down to way outside the top 10 by the end of the day from from quite a comfortable win. So um, it's something that people are having to learn how to deal with, this this chasing start pressure because not really not many people have done it unless you've been to O-Ringen or Bloodschlitter or something like that consistently mm. over the last few years. You don't have that training to deal with it and relays are fine but it's a bit of a different feel when you're racing for a team than than for yourself yeah yeah so and you know that the relays are going to be gaffled as well whereas the individual um is more than likely you're going to be with people again at some point who you know will have the same route um that you'll take uh so i think they're just having to learn how to deal with that pressure and yeah i think um i read josh beach's attack point and i really felt for him because he just said that it just wasn't um kind of coping mentally with it and didn't feel really or was too comfortable in the terrain from the day before so maybe didn't oh, give it yeah. the respect the next day and then mm-hmm. made some mistakes because of that as well so it just shows you how how on it you've got to be when it's te- tough technical terrain and you've got that added pressure of then head-to-head racing and people all around you all the time um yeah it's just something that i think we're having to learn but hey yeah, I, I like it experience. so it's, it's good fun for me <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the other Brits uh, were at the Norwegian Champs, uh, those Brits who are, are based live in uh, Norway. Uh, Thursday had the long distance where Joe Shepard was 24th. The middle final was on the Saturday where we saw Ralph 24th, Ralph Street 24th, sorry, uh, Alan Cherry 30th, uh, Charlotte Watson also 30th and Joe Shepard was 34th and then the relay was on Sunday. Uh, Joe Shepard ran the third leg for Halton Ski Club 2. They finished in 13th place. Charlotte Watson was also on third leg for Lillemarker, their first team. Unfortunately, that team was disqualified. I, I'm not sure on the results uh, how that happened. Uh, Ralph Street was on second leg for Becca Ligertz. They finished sixth. And uh, Alan Cherry was on the first leg for Netherlands 2. And they finished eighth. Yeah, I actually had no idea that these races were going on until I saw people <laughs> update their attack points. So that's really bad of me. Um, I guess this would have been the perfect opportunity for the people who weren't making the Norwegian team to come out and put a marker down and show the coaches mm. that they should have been selected. So I guess some of the Norwegian girls and guys were training really specifically for this over the whole summer and trying to come out and really show what they're worth. So I think those results seem, um, although quite quite consistent over the board in terms of placings you know kind of low to to mid 20ths and um i think 34th being the highest that's probably quite impressive really considering the fact that all of the people you've mentioned have either been involved in in the walk teams have had a long season or mm-hmm. cherry mm-hmm. uh cherry's coming back from quite a long-term injury so or he, he was coming back in in july from injury so uh i think it's quite impressive really that those guys yeah they're putting in consistent performances i guess Individually, they would have wanted to be inside the top 10 or, or top 20, but I imagine it was one, probably one of the hardest Norwegian champs for, for quite, quite a few mm. years, although they're always hard. But you know, just from the, uh, the pressure of, of people missing out on their big goals in the summer. 
Um, so now we're going to hear from British sprint middle and long distance champion, the, uh, the queen of the triple at the moment in British orienteering, um, Megan Carter-Davis. And we'll hear all about her, um, how, she, how she trains, how she prepares for races and a bit about her orienteering career. So Megan, you're fresh here from the wins, both at the sprints and the middles at, at the weekend. Um, so do you want to talk us through those races, maybe starting off with the sprints? Yeah, um, hi. So the sprint race, um, I was a bit nervous about this. So I'd, um, because I've won a lot of the British titles this year, mm. or like other races, um, this was like the first sort of one where I wasn't even sure I was going to like medal in. Mm-hmm. And... Like, the start field was so competitive. And I knew Alice had just come back from Vienna O Challenge and she'd won everything there. <laughs> and, and like, a lot of the girls had just been in good shape as well. And obviously, like, training for sprint a bit more. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. It was, like, the first big sprint race of the year. The qualifier was fine. I raced it a bit more than I intended to because I started with Fiona and Cecilia. And okay. so they started off... <laughs> they went a bit faster than I thought they would. And so I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should race a bit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I tired myself out a bit with the qualifier. Um, okay. But obviously qualified very safely. Yeah, I was I was actually okay for the afternoon and I didn't feel too tired going into it. And I was just quite chilled out and um, actually just had a really clean run, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, I so, think that's what yeah. was needed for especially the afternoons one. The first one, like, I felt was much more much more running much more speed required and uh, it was quite fun to like see the people that started at the same minute as you quite a lot and then the afternoon was a lot more technical yeah and actually I felt like I was losing my head a bit I was um in the morning sprint in the qualifier um I kept sort of losing my direction almost mm-hmm. um so I was a bit maybe I was a bit more on it for the afternoon and trying to make sure I wasn't making mistakes at all yeah how did you try and refocus then for the afternoon or did you like go through you know to tell yourself tell yourself something that maybe you needed to improve like how what did you do between the two races um I mean I sort of just chilled out and like always <laughs> napped a bit just lying around um so yeah I mean being chilled is like the best way for me to go into a race I think yeah usually um and because I knew I'd sort of been on the edge of the mistakes in the morning, I was probably a bit more conscious of what I was doing in the afternoon. Yeah, that mm. makes sense. And then were you kind of surprised when you got to the finish uh, and were leading? Um, yeah, so I'd seen Alice like on the way to number three. Uh, she was coming back out around the building and going to number four. And so Alice started a minute before me. So mm. I knew I was... Well, I could actually tell at that point whether I was gaining time or not. And then I didn't see her again until the very last straight coming up to the finish. Mm-hmm. And I knew I'd had a good run. Um, and I was like, oh, this is nice. The finish is almost here. <laughs> and uh, and then I saw Alice and I was like, OK, this is uh, I think I definitely got this. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alice ended up coming second. So, yeah, to get that that weird that feedback just before you've you've made the line did you feel yeah. like yeah and I could you... I could hear the commentary as well um sort of saying Alice was coming in for a lead but we've got Megan coming like soon now <laughs> I was like yeah <laughs> and were you the last starter 
Uh, no, Fiona started after me. Oh yeah, Fiona started. So yeah. a little bit of nerves on the the trying to look around to see where Fiona was. Um, no, I don't think so actually. I think because I knew I'd had such a good run. Um, I mean, not that Fiona. <laughs> I mean, Fiona's definitely competitive. Oh yeah. Um, but I think I just sort of heard from the commentary that it was quite safe. Oh, so. it's a great position to be in. And then uh, yeah, straight on to the middles the next day. How was that race for you? Uh, good. Um, so actually, I think one of the biggest issues I had was just my footwear. My my ex-talons are quite worn down and <laughs> it was quite slippy. Yeah. And so I was just like really kind of struggling almost to run. But uh, navigationally, it was good, I think. Um, it wasn't too tricky, although it was detailed on that slope. It was almost like if you sort of kept going and just got to the right side of the mound or something, then it was quite clear where the control would be. Um, and apart from that it was quite physical yeah I think like particularly one end of the um, the quarry like there were only controls that were on courses one and two on the men's and women's 21 so it's like if you hit yeah. a control you just have to keep going and if you hit a control it was highly likely to be yours yeah yeah it's either like on the feature that you're expecting or you keep going a bit and find the boulder or something that you're looking for yeah and, and those boulders the, were the huge control. yeah yeah, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. And I did actually still try to navigate, like, the hallway. Um, and I think... <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, and then when we came back up onto the top, then I made maybe a small mistake somewhere. Yeah. Um, so after that one with the fence across it. Yeah. Um, so there was one with a... There was a fence, a newly built fence, and it wasn't on the map. Yeah. And I remembered that from the... Um, the start box and it didn't put me off at all um but then just after that I'd like looked up and I could see a different control and I ran mm-hmm. for that one and my one was over to the right a bit further yeah so I think I'd been a bit distracted there yeah yeah the um that that fence um obviously it came I was like reading the planners notes and it came up it was put up after the maps were printed and I felt I wasn't put off by the fact that it was there because I knew there was going to be something different to the map, but I didn't know whether to go right or to the left of the fence. Yeah, stop I had area. that issue as well. <laughs> so that yeah. that kind of put me off, even if the extra feature didn't put me off. Yeah, um, I guess it's just like one of those things, and you just know that you just have to get on with it. Everyone has to deal with it, and some people will be lucky there and some won't, but yeah, just keep running. <laughs> exactly. Keep going um, with it. <laughs> Uh, how did you enjoy those two brutal climbs up the hill? Oh, I know. <laughs> no, I think enjoy is definitely the wrong word. <laughs> yeah, it was quite scrambly going up there. The second one, um, there was almost like a false top. So you yeah. got halfway up and there was this ever lumpy bit. And then I looked up and I was just like, oh my God, how steep is this slope? <laughs> yeah so I was was glad to get to the top of the second one (laughs) yeah were you able to like look at the shape of the course and see when those climbs were going to be and kind of Um, no actually I hadn't Um, no Uh, I was just quite focused on where I was going for the next one in the detailed sections and just kind of getting on with the climbing so I hadn't really there wasn't much time to like actually run out and look at the map yeah, and I guess I was focusing on my feet a lot as well. <laughs> Just yeah, I found that really difficult to find enough time to be able to look at the map when I had to 
focus a lot of my energy on yeah exactly where my feet were where exactly I was running and all the different things like how how do you deal with that I guess it's just experience really uh I've done a lot of training and (laughs) I've finally gotten to the point where it just all sort of came together and um and yeah you just know when you can look at the ground and when you're looking at your map and sometimes I'm looking at my map and I'm like I almost have like a conscious thought like oh should I be looking at the ground now (laughs) or do I already know what's coming (laughs) uh, yeah it's a bit weird but and then it just sent into the arena and again like you could be uh cheered into the win on that one as well yeah that was nice and actually I had a bit of a weird moment here because I'd because I'd fallen over on the slope or maybe just from climbing the steep slope I'd managed to pause my watch on the detailed section and so I missed out one of the loops and I thought I'd started it again pretty quickly but clearly not because when I came into the arena well actually when I came onto the top of the plateau I was on 17 minutes Mm -hmm. and it looked like just about 10 minutes of running left (laughs) and I was like whoa this is going to be faster than the middle distance time so when I was coming to the arena my watch said 26 minutes (laughs) there so I was like absolutely going for it like oh my god this is amazing time (laughs) but not quite well I I was wondering whether anyone was going to dip under 30 minutes just because of like I thought so much of it would be really quick but I think those two climbs just absolutely you know ended the chance of doing that so in the the end it was like the right distance I think yeah it was good and I think the men's was a similar winning time as well yeah, yeah which which I think is like I think planners find really really difficult to get and often kind of under plan it and and do it a bit shorter because they're worried they don't want people to be out for too long um rather than yeah. over plan it although I don't think there's been too much of that lately in the elites anyway oh not that's good. not that I can remember yeah <laughs> oh actually no, well I suppose actually, yeah saying that um I think I, I beat the winning time in the sprints and in the long distance <laughs> Not, <laughs> but I think like because Killensy was so fast and then I guess the sprints maybe maybe it could have been a bit longer but it's yeah it's just hard to judge isn't it so. yeah it's really hard to judge and especially when you know the fa- the fastest people are going to be the ones running the competition so it's really hard to like test out your courses with somebody who's going to be running as fast as the people who are going to be winning it basically anyway so you've won every and I think as the commentators put it every single daytime British title this year uh so (laughs) the the sprint the middles of the long uh and and the JK sprint and the JK yeah except Um, for the JK middle except for the JK middle yeah Uh, but do you do you have a favorite discipline um no no I don't really I was thinking about well I've I thought about this a lot a lot the last few years and decided to just go for everything because I couldn't decide on anything <laughs> um and do you do you enjoy being yeah. an all-rounder then yeah I do yeah I love like the variety of it all I love like the atmosphere and all the quick decisions and sprint racing and then I love I absolutely love running in the forest and off-road I think it's so cool and <laughs> Yeah, running at night's pretty adventurous. <laughs> um, and then relays are obviously really fun as well. So, yeah, it's great. Love yeah, that's, <laughs> that's quite unusual. Like, I think getting more unusual now that that someone who's, like, more actively being an all-rounder and not specialising, at least, like, seems within quite a lot of the British, like, women's team. Yeah. Although, if you think about other teams, um, 
for example, like Tova will do all the races and yeah. Dan Hubman, like a lot of the top people will do all the races. So yeah. I think like, although it's challenging in some respects, I think it's kind of fun and it makes training more varied as well. That's what I enjoy about it. That's a good point. So, yeah. um, I mean, you were arguably the favourite at the weekend, um, with especially with having won the, the long as well. Do you feel any pressure associated with that and how do you deal with it? Um, no, I didn't really feel any pressure. I didn't feel like, um, yeah, I didn't feel any external pressure. <laughs> the only thing I wanted to do was get the triple and once I secured the sprint, then I was like, yes, <laughs> let's do the triple. <laughs> so yeah no I didn't didn't really feel any pressure with it so I guess when I was younger especially when I was going to European youth champs for the first few times and even like my first jaywalk I did feel a lot of pressure and I totally crumbled in all of those because I don't know I guess because you're just racing for GB you know that you've done well in the GB races that year yeah I don't know you're just kind of aiming for these big results but you haven't really raced internationally and so yeah. you try to go above and beyond what you're capable of and you end up just running too fast and making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've learned to sort of just chill out now and <laughs> uh, enjoy it a bit more and like whatever. As long as I'm happy with my performance, then there's nothing I can improve on, is there? So. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like if you get beaten by somebody else, they've just had a better run than you that day. Yeah, exactly. You have to deal with that. Yeah, so I do. I do still feel pressure. I do get nervous, especially like before relays, um, mm-hmm. sprint relays in particular. <laughs> it's just there's so much to play for, and it's all you don't have a lot of time to think about things when you're sprinting, especially. Yeah, there's definitely pressure, especially when you've got teammates. Yeah, but there's, yeah, there's more people in the brutal easy. way. There's more people to let down. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, you've had a something of an international career so far, um, you know, represented uh, GB numerous, numerous times. Uh, still, uh, we hope uh, many, many years to come as well. But what's been your highlight so far? Um, I find this pretty hard. There's been a lot of fun races, but I think World Uni's sprint relay in 2016 when we won the gold, that's mm. probably still my favourite moment. What um, can you cross- remember of it? So... We were at this town in Hungary and um, I was on a team with Charlotte Ward, Peter Hodkinson, Chris Jones and Chris came back on third leg mm-hmm. and put me out in the lead, basically. And I'd been, I'd been so nervous about this race all summer, thinking yeah. that I might have to fight for medals and how was I going to cope with that and everything. And... I knew that this was such a good team and then Chris came back with over a minute lead and I was suddenly like oh well that's fine <laughs> I don't have to fight for the medals anymore I'll just run around and <laughs> see how it goes um try to have a good run um so I just managed I just got to enjoy my run and take my time didn't really make any mistakes and came to the run-in and they were all waiting for me and we had the British flags and we just all ran down together and jumped over the finish line <laughs> it, was, it was great it was so much fun yeah and the fact that you can be like surrounded by the whole team everyone's super pumped is, is yeah I bet just the icing on the cake yeah yeah it was so good yeah I can see and looking ahead what event is, is there an event a place a terrain that you'd really like to orienteer in the future I feel like I've I've got kind of like a bucket list of of 
events or places that I want to go. Do you have do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, there's like some probably some really cool Swedish terrain. There's um, Euro Cup is going to Sweden in two years, so I definitely mm-hmm. want to do that. I think that'll be really fun. And O-ringen, I want to do sometime. I've never done O-ringen before. Oh, okay. So um, I'm I'm gonna I've I've put the dates in my diary to go next this summer this coming summer because uh, it's quite accessible so um and yeah it's i feel like it's always one that i should have done and haven't yet okay yeah is it, it's in Uppsala next year isn't it yeah yeah yeah. Um, i think just like the atmosphere would be amazing and just seeing that many orienteers like that's why i really want to go to that one i think I, i'd quite like to do it just for the racing to see how i'd get on compared because there's so many it's just insane competition isn't it yeah and i think especially with there being a sprint walk next summer i think you get quite a lot of the forest more like traditionally forest orienteers turning up to that yeah that's true yeah um although so i'm working full-time now so i don't have much holiday (laughs) (laughs) no i'll be quite selective nowadays (laughs) and how how do you choose what to you know spend your holiday on i mean i i know that i basically want to go to world champs and the european champs like for next year at least definitely um but then also swiss world cup and italian world cup both look like they'd be quite cool and by that point i'm sort of almost running out of holidays so i've got to be quite careful <laughs> yeah does got that some, leave you any time for an actual holiday <laughs> yeah and also it takes some time off for ukula because ukula is in Rovaniemi next year as well mm-hmm. um which would be nice at the same time, it would be good to do some camps as well, like the um, mock camp yeah. is in um, that's the Mediterranean or March. camp, yeah? Yeah, that's it, Mediterranean O-champs, but camp. And you, you often get a lot of really high-quality sprint training there, so especially for next year when it's sprint walk. Yeah, I think a lot of people gonna will be, be great camp. Oh. So big decisions to make next year of what to do with my time. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with uh, dishing yeah. out your holiday in various places. Um, but I, you mentioned Nicola, and um, I wanted to ask you a bit more about what it's like being part of a of a foreign club. You're in uh, Ryman Rickmenti. Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so how like how did that your relationship with that club come about? Um, through who we knew, really. So there was um, a guy called Sandavahe who's Estonian, mm-hmm. and he came to university in Swansea to do a master's a few years ago. So my boyfriend, Ben, he knew Sander, and Sander runs for this club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, we were like, oh, well, we'd like to run Eucala sometime. And we were, this is, yeah, it's, it's my fifth year with Ryan Manrick Menti. So when we were like 18 and 19. So Sander basically got in contact with the club and said, look, we've got these runners they'd like to run at Eucala can they run for the club this year and so we went for and ran for them and have stuck with them since <laughs> oh that's great and what like yeah. what's it like being part of a foreign club and how is it different to the UK Ryan Mine like maybe less like other clubs we don't do so many training camps which mm-hmm. I mean is nice like we've got a lot we've got a really nice group of people and I like to see them at Eucala and do me there but um yeah, I think other clubs tend to do more camps. Mm-hmm. 
I think this this works better for me just because it's <laughs> less time <laughs> less time commitment. <laughs> yeah, but it's still that's quite true. fun to race. Yeah, um, I think it's it's more just like the opportunity that you get to run in these big races, and you have a team. You sort of think about them in advance, and the the big relays are sort of different to any relays that you might have run before, like the JK relay and British, because there's a bit more. Well, it's just it's just different because there's so many people in the forest. <laughs> so you have like um, each person has like a different job almost. Mm-hmm. So the first person has to just get in a good pack at the start and minimise time loss. And to be honest, it sort of stays the same. You sort of stick with the group the whole way through unless you're very confident that you can navigate your way to a better group. And you kind of carry on like that until the end. And everyone's just minimising mistakes as much as possible, minimising time loss. And then I, I've been on last leg like, the couple of years so then I get to take a couple more risks <laughs> at the end <laughs> or but I still have to be very careful not to lose it all but um yeah try and pass more teams and do you like running last leg result. yeah I do I think it's really fun and um because I'm I'm <laughs> without bigging myself up <laughs> sorry I'm a I'm a bit faster than the other girls so like when I go out the girls I'm with I'm faster than so I normally get to kind of group hop mm-hmm. so I get to navigate away from one group and like run through the next group and basically just try and catch as many places as possible yeah which is fun yeah yeah and very satisfying I imagine as you're like passing people in the forest yeah yeah but I am always conscious of this like don't lose time <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't keep it safe see a group keep it safe and then, yeah and then make a mistake <laughs> Well, um, I think you're you're kind of known in the orienting community as being fast, as being um, like one that I think some people are, you know, even some of the guys are like, well, okay, Megan is really quite fast. So what kind of training do you do um, basically to get that result and how do you fit it around the rest of your life? Um, I think the main thing is actually the orienting races on the weekends. I think that's uh, I, I do basically orienteer every weekend in all the mm-hmm. local races and things. Um, throughout the week, I tend to just do more steady running. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I might incorporate more intervals because it's sprint walk year and I should try to get faster. But yeah, I think especially this year, because it was my first year in full-time work, I've I started off struggling to balance it a bit. So I cycle in and out of work, which is 25 minutes each way sort mm-hmm. of thing and it's hilly on the way back <laughs> so I get home quite tired <laughs> uh, just because of that big hill at the end yeah and then I only ever feel like going out for a steady run really <laughs> okay <laughs> and yeah I'm, I'm quite loose with my training um I, I try not to be lazy but mm-hmm. if I'm tired it can definitely go the way of oh let's just do something easier yeah, but if you are listening to what your body's saying and being flexible, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of seems like you've managed to avoid longer spells of injury or anything, and you you seem to always be, you know, coming to an event in good fitness, in good shape. Yeah, especially this year, I haven't really been injured, which is nice. Um, I think the biggest injury time I had was I fell off my bike on the way to work one day and <laughs> so I couldn't run for like two weeks because I hurt my um, back. So, okay. Do you yeah, think that's uh, because you are do a lot of steady training and like 
cycling as well and kind of yeah do I think that's definitely you helped yeah also as a junior I got injured a lot um just tr- trying to train too hard and mm. so I think I've learned from that to <laughs> sort of listen to my body better and throughout university as well um I learned a lot from the sports performance squad in Bristol Uni mm-hmm. about just almost like rolling and the sort of definite things that you need to do strength work on mostly just core and glutes yeah um, so I do a bit of that each week and try to stay on top of it so you say you go orienteering every weekend not everybody um will do that and some people would like like to kind of do less orienteering and then that means when they get on the start line like they're really hungry for going orienteering so why do you think your approach works for you um I think it's because I like a lot of the same people turn up at the races and so I get to compare myself against them also with my boyfriend Ben we have like a almost like a ratio (laughs) so I know that we know like we kind of compare against each other afterwards and I think that helps with your general orienteering progression um Mm -hmm. it's it's basically my training so each week I can see like oh I've been quite bad on my direction this week or oh I need to get better navigating in the circle that kind of thing and so like the next week obviously I'm trying to improve on it I think all those little bits add up and also running on the terrain like you get a whole Mm. variety of terrain that makes you quite strong so how does reflecting on your run help you to improve uh I think it helps to see like what skills you've been like doing well at and where your weak areas are Mm. and so I mean if you're always losing time to direction then it's obviously something that you need to work on so maybe like next time you can think about it and also chat to people about it and get advice on how to improve Mm -hmm. um I think it's very easy to just slip into oh I made a mistake here but if I hadn't I would have been this time (laughs) I would have won or would have beaten so and so so I think like this time last year you were saying that like Ben had his last year of studying to finish and then he's going to graduate and then you were going to be working kind of temporary job for a while and then see what you're going to do from then on. So what are you doing from then on? <laughs> what am I doing now? Yes, um, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> yeah, I got a better job than I had thought about last year. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now I'm, yeah, I quite like this job and Ben's actually got another year of studying yet. Ah, so, okay. Um, we're staying in Bristol for a while and after Ben finishes we're yet, wait we're yet to see but I think having this routine actually really helps me mm-hmm. so um yeah we'll hang around a, a while are you are you tempted to move abroad like a lot of the Brits have done um actually I'm not really I I know it's good to spend time abroad and I think at some point it would be useful uh, especially just to race like in in relevant terrain so I think my the biggest gap especially for forest orienteering from where I am now to getting to like a world championship level Mm. um is like actually just being able to race in the terrain properly so Mm. how like how confident I feel running in Britain and racing like on these moorlands and sand dunes and southern forests etc (laughs) (laughs) it's quite different to how I'm racing in or how I was racing in Norway for example Mm. so um 
in Norway, like, it, I just look, like, I look at the map, I know, like, which line I'm going to take, but it probably just takes me a bit more time in the terrain to uh, spot those things or, like, feel confident knowing that that thing is exactly that feature. Yeah. And and I think that's the difference from where I am now to actually being able to race flat out in the World Championships. So I will have to spend some time doing proper training camps for the forest races. Um, but I do like living in Britain because I quite like the weather and I like the, like having all friends and support network and everything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's lots of considerations and like some people who move out to Scandinavia really, really love it and some people like struggle a bit more to <clears throat> to make those like friendship connections and, and miss the weather in the UK or, or things like yeah. that and just like some some of the small things as well um yeah. so I think I would struggle with winter in Scandinavia with the lack of light and just general ice and snow yeah I think it must be like quite depressing I think particularly with last, lack of night um so mm. also looking at what's next for you you are off to uh World Cup round three in Switzerland are you doing all the races yeah uh so middle knockout sprints and sprint final as well. I'm, I'm looking uh, forward to it. <laughs> have you run a knockout sprint before? Actually, I've only done one in the Mediterranean O Camp two years ago in 2017. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, interested to see how that one goes. Yeah. And do you think, like, is there one that you think you'll be suited to to more than some of the others, maybe? Um. Not really, but I would I would like to try more knockout sprints because I think um, I am quite I can be quite fast on the mm-hmm. short stuff, especially. I was quite glad on the weekend that that sprint final was only like under twelve minutes because I would have struggled <laughs> to keep going. I think. Yeah, but, well, I think the yeah. qualifier is eight to ten minute winning time, and then the all the other like knockout stages are six to eight minute winning time. Yeah, I quite like the sound of that, but then it was also. <laughs> just so tight as well so mm. it would be quite a hard one to feel confident that you're gonna do well but I quite like that about it as well unexpected yeah. <laughs> yeah. will be very exciting uh and we will see you out there how are you looking forward to the uh the 10k coming up um uh, after the weekend yeah <laughs> um I think it's gonna be quite painful it's, so it's on this Sunday I'm running Swansea Bay 10k okay and uh I know that I've been running well in orienteering and it's quite nice to have a map to distract you and <laughs> change of direction and hills and <laughs> things like that. And I think it's going to be really tough to just run 10k flat out. Um, so I've been I've been trying to do some pacing work actually. So I was saying I haven't done any intervals this year, but um, I've done a couple like the last well, just the last couple of weeks, just to get used to some sort of pace and figure out how fast I need to go. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. Well, good luck and um, good luck for Switzerland as well. Thank you. So that was um, Catherine's interview with Megan Carter-Davis there. Fascinating insight into Megan and just how she trains on a day-to-day basis and approaches her orienteering career. So um, a lot to learn from that one, I think, for, for all of us. Really fascinating. But moving on, next up, we've got the World Cup Round 3 in Switzerland coming up. So, uh, Catherine, I think you'll be out there for this one, won't you? 
yes, I will be commentating again uh, on the live stream for the IOF as is now usual for all the World Cup rounds. Uh, Will, you're missing out. You're in uh, Australia instead, so which uh, is yeah. a pretty awesome, pretty awesome place to be, to be honest. If you're going to uh, miss out on the World Cup, go, you might as well go to Australia. Let, <laughs> let, letting Chris Jones have a shot. He, 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 he needs the experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's going to be held uh, in and around Laufen, which is uh, quite close to Basel in Switzerland. We th- we'll start off with a middle distance on the Friday afternoon. That's Friday the 27th. There's no previous map available, so I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be like. But the, the notes on the bulletin say terrain between 400 and 700 metres, varied forest varied kind of runnability, visibility and everything. The courses, they are long courses in my opinion mm. with uh, the women's being 6.4, the men's 7.4. We've got 130 and 190 metres of climb and they will lead to an estimated 35 minute winning time. Future Catherine here. Um, as you might have been able to tell, we were recording this before the final details were released. So the final details or bulletin four, as it's more commonly known, uh, was released in a couple of days before the World Cup uh, got underway. So the final details for the course lengths are 6.2 kilometers and 220 meters of climb for the women and uh, seven kilometers and 280 meters of climb for the men, with both giving a slightly longer winning time than than usual for a middle distance, 39 minute expected winning time. So still pretty long, not as long as we originally thought, uh, and a lot of climb, more climb than we originally thought, but still I think our our comments later on still uh, make make some sense. But 6.4 for the for the women's having you know pre-run quite a few women's middle distance courses like that is a long way and and this and the climb is not as much as I would have expected as well actually if you compare that to the 215 meters I had at the British Middle Champs where we've taken up that that hill twice I want to say to everybody who ran that and went up went up that hill twice all the 20 uh, went up that hill once sorry all the 21s had to go up that twice. It was not our friend at the end, anyway. So I mean, just, I'm just thinking, no. But only 130 meters of climb. I say, like, still, still quite a reasonable amount of climb. But for Switzerland, that's and to give that 30 minutes winning, t- 35 minutes winning time, I think it's going to be really, really quick, and we're going to be really interesting to see. We've got all the big names going. Um, ev- everyone you might expect, uh, the Hubmans, the Kibertses, um all the Norwegians are going. I mean, pretty much, pretty much everybody is going. And um, I mean, people don't spend as much time preparing for for these for like World Cup round three. Like, what has been everybody's focus for the whole? I mean, for forever it seems like. But they they won't have focused on this kind of thing. So I think it's it's going to be it's maybe going to be quite quite different kind of thing but um mm. and certainly going to benefit the the swiss runners who are used to that continental terrain maybe they're used to kind of looking around for route choices that go further away from the line that kind of allow them to avoid climb um so probably going to benefit them that's going to be quite exciting um and then the, the weekend we'll see yeah all the sprinters who've been in hiding for the last year, they're all going to resurface. And and really with them, we don't know what their form's kind of like. And a lot of them haven't been sprint orienteering recently. I mean, some of the runners 
world rankings in in sprints have absolutely plummeted because they just haven't been doing any sprint orienteering so that's going to be quite interesting to see Mm, like on their form how they cope with that and and it's not just a sprint we have we actually start with a knockout sprint on the saturday and then like the sprint the more classic sprints um on the sunday so the knockout sprint the way it works is a qualifier at 9 a.m eight to ten minute winning times and then throughout the day there's a quarter final a semi-final and then the finals uh just after 4 p.m that's local time uh where the the winning times six to eight minutes so it's gonna get short and sharp and fast and everyone of course like if you end up doing all the races if you end up getting through all the way to the final then people run a long way that day with the the recovery in between the races as well um so yeah that one's i think is gonna be really interesting and then we end with the sprint mm, on the definitely. sunday as well um which have you know more classic 13 to 18 13 to 15 minute winning time yeah so I think Friday's going to be an interesting one. That's that's going to be a downhill course. Looking at that climb with, with the terrain that's on the options, you know, between 400 and 700 metres, very forest. The Swiss love a downhill course. They'll start it near the top. Um, you'll mm-hmm. have a couple of uphill legs, but yeah, predominantly they'll be slamming it down. So that'd be the reason why I think it's quite long, quite a quick winning time. Mm-hmm. I think the last couple of years as well, they've finished in the town at the bottom of the hill for TV. Yes. So I assume that might be happening again as well. And so the last couple of legs will be finishing through a town. So that'll be really fast as well and cut out some some of the distance. So I think that, yeah, you'll see, I guess it'll be pretty technical on the slopes and you'll see some big howlers because people won't have been putting in, like you say, people won't have been putting in much mm. technical training up to this point mm. after walks. They'll have been having a bit of a holiday and, yeah. and having a break from it. So this could be a bit of a... Like there, there could be some shock results here and people have had some very good results from later in the season by really focusing on it, especially the Swiss guys. Um, so Florian Schneider is someone who's, who's finished on the podium in the Swiss World Cup, but not at any of the other World Cups. I think just because he's specifically focused on doing well at that one and really targeting it. So I think you'll have some people who, who throw up some, some surprises in that middle distance. Um, the knockout, yeah, like you say, pretty pretty different and not quite sure what to expect from this one. So... Tactically, I think it's going to be quite key. I mean, for the qualifier, it's the same for the British sprint qualifiers. I, I always think you've got a qualifier, especially at World Cup level, there's no guarantees you are going to make that final. Mm-hmm. Like It doesn't matter if you're the fastest person in, in Britain or the fastest person in France, anyone can miss out. So yep. there's no point in not going hard in that qualifier. You've, I think you've got to. It's only eight minutes. So there's no point in not going hard. The quarterfinal being up like, uh, as little as six minutes, that's pretty crazy. So mm-hmm. one mistake and you're gone, you're out of it. Yep. You're not going to catch back up to the, to the pack because you just can't move as fast as a, a group of, of five girls or guys of world-class standards on your own in, in a six-minute period. So anyone who's done sprintables as a club or as a group, you'll know that if you make a mistake and you're suddenly put back kind of 50 to 100 metres behind everyone and you're chasing how hard it is to close that gap kind of times that by 10 and and putting the added pressure of going for results at a World Cup, you're, you're not getting back on. So you've got to be incredibly clean in those quarterfinals and semis to be able to go through and have a good kick as well to, <laughs> to be able to out-sprint everyone else in your heat. Because I'm not sure if they'll throw in some butterflies or not really to, to shake it up. I assume they will. I hope they will. I'm, 
I'm not sure. There's nothing um, on the bulletin about what there's going to be or if there's going to be an athlete's choice or anything. And I don't know what the commission have decided yet for how it's going to go forward in the future, if there's going to be a set way that it works. I think still, as we saw from the World Cup final, which was in um, Prague last year, they're still kind of experimenting to some extent on um, on exactly mm. what is best for 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 this or at least like you know there was feedback after the world cup final that maybe that wasn't the best option that that they did there yeah it's it's tricky i know the guys in edinburgh um have been doing a lot of sprint um runner's choice training so runner's Mm. choice for for those who don't know you get um i think it's 20 seconds to look at three different options laid out in front of you by the organizer you pick which you think is the shortest course so there's no mm-hmm. distances or anything on them. You just pick what you think is visibly the shortest course. And those those maps are all separate maps. So they're not yeah. those courses overlaid on each other. So you have to take in a lot of information very quickly. Yeah. So 20, yeah, 20 seconds goes by pretty quickly. I've never actually done it. So I really i am kind of itching to get in on it in one of those mm-hmm. training sessions. But they've been doing a lot of work in Edinburgh. Um, and Chris Mivard organising the group up there has been getting other people to plan sessions for them. And uh I, I guess if they're faced with that, I think they'll be in a pretty good stead to uh, to do to do quite well. Um, but yeah, I just don't know what's going to happen. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. So hopefully, mm-hmm. I'll be able to pick up a feed of it somewhere down under. But yeah, <laughs> hopefully the guys will do well because looking at the team that's going for the women, you got Cecilia Anderson, Megas Davis, Sarah Jones, you know, all did, and Alice Leak as well, um, Charlotte Ward. They've all done very well over the sprints. No, historically, Joe Shepard as well in there. Um, I think I think they could do pretty well, especially with the the caliber of runners that are in there and how fast mm-hmm. they are physically. They're they're, they're probably not going to get dropped by anyone. So I think tactically they've got to think about how they're going to play it in terms of the fact that there's some of the stronger runners in there. So how are they going to to deal with everyone else around them who might not be as fast? Are they going to break away early or are they going to just rely on their kick to finish it off with? You know, it's, yeah. it's really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the men's, uh, we've got... Um, actually, we also say we've got Kat Taylor. She's just doing the middle distance. Yes. Yeah. And the men's, you've got Alex Carcass, Johnny Crickmore, Peter Hodkinson, Ralph Street. They're doing all of the events, I think. Uh, at least that's what they were selected for. Then we've got uh, Ben Mitchell and Adam Potter, who just just been selected for the middle mm. and chris jones and chris smithard just doing the sprints yeah and going back to the middle cat had a really good result i think it was last year in, in grindelwald in the in the forest races in switzerland so she could do really well you know just one race out there to go out smash it she could get a really good result in that middle distance yeah um, i remember as- her leading for a long way around then she made a mistake just kind of in the mm. last kind of descent but yeah a lot of really great um potential there for her yeah then the uh, the sprint finals on the Sunday. So the A finals and the B finals. These are, I think these are based on your world ranking, if I'm right. So you qualify yeah. for the A final off the other off the other races. Editing Catherine here, who's actually now read the rules on the World Cups for 2019. Um, so can stop us guessing. Uh, there will be 40 runners in the A race, um, and they will be chosen mostly based on the six fastest in each of the three qualification races in the knockout sprint and then any remaining runners in the top 10 of the sprint world ranking and then other remaining places to be filled uh, in order of the world cup standings after 
the knockout sprint. So uh, and all the remaining runners are going to take part in the B race and the, the order for that A race will be in reverse order of the sprint world ranking. So just to clear up any confusion, back to the podcast. Hopefully it's all fair and, and we can get quite a few Brits in that final because it'd be really nice if they could just, you know, go and get some big checks from the Swiss sponsors because I think mm. they could do really well. Looking at the style of the towns, these these kind of Swiss hilltop towns, I think it really suits our style of sprint. You know, mm-hmm. Fast changes in direction, good and technical. I think the British sprints is a perfect warm-up for people. So I think we're in a good shape to have some uh, some good results in the Brits. Well, yeah, hopefully I'll be uh, commentating on some, some great results. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited, really looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, I think there's... Uh, there is some cost i think it's 16 euros for all three events or six euros for each event if you wanted to pay to listen to my commentary um that would be amazing uh and yeah i think it's going to be a really exciting one Uh, so let's end the podcast there next episode we'll bring you a little roundup of what's gone on in switzerland Mm. as well and look forward to uh, some more of the competitions uh throughout the rest of the year i would just like to say um, thank you very much to everyone who came up at the Sprints and Middles at the weekend and said some very kind words about the podcast, you know, so they're enjoying it, that they're listening on the drive down to events um, as families, individuals. You know, it was really nice and, and very touching for people to come up and give such wonderful feedback um, on what we're doing on here and that it's getting out to people. So thank you very much for everyone and um, particularly the, the plugging that Catherine, you were able to do on the Middle Distance <laughs> Day in the commentary box. And uh, it's really it's really nice that people are getting something out of it as well, because that's the main yeah. thing. Is, it means a lot to, to us. Yeah, definitely. And, and to kind of get the word out there about um, senior orienteering, raise our profile, raise my profile, um, <laughs> <laughs> completely selfishly. Um, but yeah, just, just raise a profile of, of elites in the country, because I think we're on to a bit of forward movement with... Um, on the red line and people getting more active on social media and it's it's really feels like it's going somewhere so thanks very much to everyone who's who's become involved and people who have interviewed and um yeah hopefully we'll keep on putting out some more stuff yeah we will indeed well we'll be back for the next one yes thank you very much